Amen. It's great to be with you today. As David said, my name is John Mark Harrison, and uh, I'm excited to open God's Word with you. So if you've got a Bible, it feels like a guy named John Mark should preach from the Gospel of Mark. So let's go to Gospel, or Gospel of Mark chapter 8. All right, Mark chapter 8. We're going to spend our time together. I pastor a church in East Tennessee named First Baptist Concord. And the only difference in their church and your church, it's time change Sunday there too. It's first Sunday of spring break, but we've got eight inches of snow on the ground over in East Tennessee. So I'm glad to be in East Texas. All right. So it is uh, good to be here with you. And uh, I'm honored just for this opportunity. Hey, I want to say also a special welcome to those of you watching online. I know this service is online, so I want to say a special greeting to uh, those there. And I think Pastor Kreiner is watching online today. Can, so we tell Pastor Kreiner we love him and we can't wait for him to be back. Yeah, it is good to stand in this place and know that I love your pastor and he loves you. All right, His, my, my phone's been going crazy this morning with him, uh, but, uh, but he loves you dearly and, uh, and he wants this man see you continue to walk with the Lord. He can't wait to get back. I'll right, be back with you. He, he thinks very soon, uh, but uh, he wants to be back with you very, very soon. And so um, know that we love he and Abby and are thankful for it, the Kriners. I am a part of that group of guys that we try to love one another and and make fun of each other at the same time uh, on that Marco Polo group. And so that's really how we love one another is tearing each other down. It is not a spiritual gift, but it is a brotherhood. All right. And, uh, and so we have some fun together. I'm married to Bridget. We've got two children, Cade, who's in Puerto Rico right now. He's 13 on his first mission trip. All right. And uh, he's fired up about that. He's disappointed he missed the snow. Uh, but he left our house. It was 11 degrees when he left our house at 4 a.m. Saturday morning. And he walked out the door in shorts and a T-shirt. I'm like, you going to wear a jacket? He's like, I'm going to Puerto Rico. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I put him on the plane in shorts and a t-shirt. If you have a 13-year-old, you know what that's like. Uh, and then we have a six-year-old named Mia who runs our house. All right, our six-year-old little girl runs our house. She's our little gymnast. Things I have to say to Mia are like, hey, please walk on your feet, not your hands. You know, it's like and that things you never thought you have to say. Uh, you know, there's a worldwide pandemic going on. That's nasty. Don't touch that. You know, that's kind of what we're doing. All right. Um, listen, before we jump into the text, oh, by, by the way, uh, I do want to do this too. Uh, congratulations to the high school state champion girls volleyball or girls basketball. I got it right there, girls basketball team. Man, your pastor was bragging on you. So no, he's like, you are coming to the home of the state champion girls basketball. So he was fired up about that. And so I do want to say congratulations. But I thought uh, we should also begin our time together with a time of prayer. Uh, just for the Michaela Ivy's family. Um, I mean, what a tragic situation that has been. If you're not aware of it, it's, it is out on social media and different things. And her service is here today at 1.30. And so can we just pray before we begin our service or before we begin our best time in the message uh, for that family this morning? Let's go to the Lord. Lord, we want to pray for the Ivy family now. Um, God, while I don't know them personally, I'm certain many in this room do. And God, this community of faith mourns at the untimely loss of a precious one. God, a teacher. Uh, God, we ask that you minister deeply to her husband and to their entire family and that God you care as only you can care God would would this place be a place of refuge for them today uh, God would your supernatural peace be here and would you speak clearly into their soul uh, that you will uphold them in such a dark day and so God use this church to love them well and minister to this family today as they have their celebration service this afternoon we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Hope you found your way to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8 is, is a 
section of scripture, we'll pick it up in verse 11, that Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he's offering them a word of warning. And so by nature today, this message to you will be a word of warning of, hey, be careful, don't allow these attributes to become part of your life. And, and so it's a word of warning, but, but really I think it answers the question for us that most likely many of us are wrestling with, the question of, in light of all that's going on in our world today, what can I do? In light of all that's going on internationally, in light of the pandemic, in light of all the things that we've been enduring, in light of this struggle and this difficulty and, and gas is $90 a gallon, like in light of all these things, like what can I do? And, and hear me, Christ follower, I believe with all my heart today, and I really want to urge you toward this way today, like what you can do, what we need for you to do more than anything else is not vent on Facebook, but to live out a white hot faith that is distinct from the world around you. Like, that's what we need. And so the question becomes, how do I do that? Oh, I want to. We all would say yes to that. We all want this white-hot faith, but man, things just creep in there. You know, we all want to look like Kreiner, but we just eat too many hamburgers. You know what I'm saying? So like, we all want like all this stuff, but, but what is it going to take to actually move the needle and become a person who is living out a real and genuine, authentic and robust faith in Christ. Well, we're going to take this warning from Jesus and go, well, it doesn't look like this. It looks like staying away from this so that we might walk in freedom and liberty with Christ. I don't know what your tradition is here, but in Concord, we... We stand when we read the scripture for our text. So can we just do that together today? Is it all right? Let's stand together and let's, let's read. Say, so why would we stand? Here's the deal. We stand in honor of the authority of the word. All right? That's, that's why. Because what we're doing is going to read this and then try to understand it together. And so this is our authority. So we respect the word above anyone and anything else. My hope today is you leave here and you can't remember the guy with two first names, but you can't remember Jesus, what his word says. All right? So let's study it together. Mark chapter 8, verse 11. The Pharisees, uh, they came and they began to argue with him, that's Jesus, demanding of him a sign from heaven to test him. Sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, why does this generation demand a sign? Truly I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and he went to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to take bread and had only one loaf with them in the boat. Then he gave them strict orders. Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. They were discussing among themselves that they did not have any bread. Aware of this, he said to them, why are you discussing the fact you have no bread? Don't you understand or comprehend? Do you have hardened hearts? Do you have eyes and not see? Do you have ears and not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of leftovers did you collect? Twelve, they told him. When I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets full of, of pieces did you collect? Seven, they said. And he said to them, don't you understand yet? May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. This moment between Jesus and his disciples 
we can learn so much from. It's a moment that might have seemed like just a passing moment between a fatherly Jesus and he's speaking to them in fatherly terms here and children in the faith trying to grow and learn. But it's also a moment where you see an exasperated Jesus sighing deeply at the questions of the Pharisees and questioning and wondering, don't you understand yet at the fate of his disciples? It's almost as Jesus looking at the Pharisees is like, man, I'm tired of the opposition that you're putting forth. And he's looking at his disciples and like, man, I thought you knew. I thought you knew. Every parent's been there before, right? Like, hey, so a child does something, it's like, don't, don't you understand? Like, how, how are we still here? And every one of us have been in situations that think, man, why is this so difficult? What are you looking for? And so it's in this moment that we learn so much about how our heart, if it's left into itself, will drift away from the person and grace that we can experience in Christ. How our heart, if left on its own, will not grow passionate for Christ, but will grow hardened in every way. Now we know this medically speaking, we understand that there's a medical condition that's known as a hardened heart, but... But today we see that Jesus is speaking to his disciples and says there's a spiritual condition as well. To we're not as tender as we used to be to the will and the way of the Father. To where we grow accustomed to what it is. Hey, think about it like this. It's, it's like when you meet your, who became your spouse for the first time, those first few times. Like your heart, you were nervous, the butterflies in your stomach, your, your palms were sweaty. But then after you're married 10, 15, 20 years... Are your palms still as sweaty or are you just kind of accustomed to things? Is your, do you still feel the butterflies? Or are you just kind of like, all right, we're married? You see, the same things happen to us in our marriage that we see Jesus talking to his disciples about here. It's like, man, where's the passion? Like, where's the zeal? Where's the faith? You see, it was so possible for these disciples that they walked close to Jesus in a way that they didn't have to have the faith they once had. They just watched Jesus do what he did. I mean, they were with Jesus when he fed the multitude, but yet they were still worried about a single loaf of bread in the boat. They were with Jesus when he was healing people and proclaiming the kingdom of God, but yet they were still overwhelmed by the attacks of the Pharisees. These things don't seem to make sense how the same people could be the same place Until I look inside my heart and know I do the exact same thing. The exact same thing. And so what's it going to look like to avoid a hard heart so that I can have this white, hot faith? Well, I think first, if we really want to do this, we got to understand what a hard heart looks like. Let me just maybe outline this for you briefly. I I think you possibly have a hard heart in, in one of three ways. When first you... You never genuinely celebrate other successes or mourn others' difficulties. Your heart may be getting tough. Maybe it's a hardening going on when you can't be excited for someone else or mourn with them. It's, it's that you stop genuinely caring for people. I can remember the other morning I got up and it was early and my wife was already in the kitchen and she was making cookies. And I thought, man, it is weird. Like, why are we making cookies before 7 a.m.? And she was like, it's a busy day, but I really want to take these to this family. And I thought, this family has just experienced deep loss. They don't want cookies. But she looked at me and said, I don't know what else to do. 
I just want to take him something and show him I care. And I thought, you're more spiritual than I am. So many, so many times in my life, my wife is the Holy Spirit personified. I don't know if you guys have your wife like that, but that was one of those moments. She said, yes, sir. I'm just saying. Should we pause and pray for our brother? So I've developed a hard heart. Hear me now. When I genuinely stop caring for people. Second, if you, you may be having a hard heart if you stop believing the best about people. You stop believing the best about people. Criticism is becoming a cultural phenomenon that we all are sucked into. But let me remind you today, it is not a spiritual gift. Like criticism. Like criticizing everybody and everything. That's not a spiritual gift. And we stop believing the best about people. It shows us our heart is hardening. We're always skeptics and we're skeptical of them. And, and we just think, man, some, everybody's always out to get me. And that shows us we're not walking in our true identity of children of God. Three, you may have developed a hard heart if there's nothing meaningful that you're passionate about. There's nothing meaningful that you're passionate about. You become passive. Life just passes you by. You just kind of step back and you think, man, I don't want to put myself out there because if I put myself out there, I might get hurt. Listen to me, getting hurt is part of life. Like, it's just a part of living. But when we get hurt firm in our identity as a child of God, we have a supernatural father who heals our hurts and ministers to us in our sorrow and difficulty. Now, I'm not talking about here, let me just clarify, I'm not talking about letting people hurt you when they're trying to hurt you intentionally. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying when we refuse to put ourselves out there because we're embarrassed or because it might not work out or because this or that might happen, like it's, it's a part of life that silly things happen. It's a part of life that we hurt. Whoever said those words, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt, they're liars. Like it hurts, but we can't allow ourselves to become this passive person that just says, man, I'm just going to let it go and let watch life pass by. I've got to learn how to keep my life and my heart healthy and passionate for the kingdom of heaven. So this passage shows us how to do that. Let's look at it in, in verses 11 through 13. We see that unbelief hardens hearts. It was their unbelief that hardened their heart. Look at it in the passage, the Pharisees came and and they begin to argue, demanding a sign from heaven to test him and sighing deeply. In his spirit, Jesus is like, why do you want a sign? You see, the Pharisees were looking for proof he was the Messiah. When Jesus understood that his job on earth was not to win an argument, but to embody the kingdom of heaven. See, Jesus didn't respond to the Pharisees, not because he couldn't have logically like, won the argument, but he was not coming to argue. He was coming to embody the kingdom of heaven. And friends, this is our call today. Think about as we were children, we learned that model prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as is in heaven. Like this is my mission on a daily life, to embody the kingdom of heaven at my workplace, to embody the kingdom of heaven at my school, to embody the kingdom of heaven in my neighborhood, to embody the kingdom of heaven in my home. Like that is my call because that's what Jesus did. And so unbelief hardens my heart when I'm like, well, I've got to have proof. I've got to have proof. I've got to have proof. Well, can I just ask you how many of you 
before you sat in the chair you're sitting in, checked all four legs and made sure the back was screwed in, you probably just plopped right down there, man. Because you sat in that seat last week and you knew it'd still be there this week. You see, we have faith in things. How many of you actually wondered this morning if your car would start? Most of you got in and turned the crank, or if you're super cool, pushed the button. Like, we have faith that these things are just going to be, but yet when it comes to spiritual things, we think, well, I need proof, I need proof, I need proof. Most of us, most of us could not build the car that we drove here in. But we sure are proud of it and wash it all the time. You see, this idea of, I have to have all this proof that life does not take any faith is just false. And Jesus here is looking at these Pharisees who were trying to use the mirage of proof. They were using a mirage of proof. They were saying it was all about, I want proof. What they really wanted was to confuse everyone to preserve the status quo. And many times when you come against people who are outside the faith and questioning spiritual things, they're just trying to confuse the conversation that they can continue in the status quo that they might not have to believe. But it is your embodiment of the kingdom of heaven. It is your distinction as a brother or sister who walks by faith that will show them Jesus as you speak of Jesus. This doesn't give us a pass on speaking for Jesus, but that the picture we see is the embodiment of the kingdom of heaven creates distinction from the world around us, and that's what the world realizes they're missing. Maybe let me ask it like this today. By your worship just a few moments ago, could have outsider have come in this place and think, hmm, they have something I do not have. What is it? By the way you live on Tuesday this week, can your neighbor go, there, there's the value system that's different in that home than in my home. There's something that has changed. See, that's how we embody the kingdom of heaven. And these Pharisees were trying to confuse him and test him. They were trying to make things difficult, demanding a sign. In verse 13, what did Jesus do? He left them, got back in the boat, and went to the other side. He left them. He says, these folks are not ready to receive. They're trying to confuse and so he went to what he would determine as more fertile fields. Can I tell you the greatest challenge of pastoral ministry in Knoxville, Tennessee? The greatest challenge of pastoral ministry in Knoxville, Tennessee, it may be true in East Texas, but I've never lived here, so I don't really know, is before I convince people of their need for Jesus, I've got to convince people that they're lost without him. Because everybody can claim a church home. I even stopped asking people, where you, you know, what, do you have a church? I say, when is the last time you were at church? Because there's usually a very different answer. Cultural Christianity has muddied the waters, and it's a lot like these Pharisees are people who think they have all the answers, but they don't know the power of God. Unbelief hardens hearts. And so Jesus here is leaving these Pharisees, getting in the boat, and going to the other side. He could have performed the miracle they needed or wanted to see. He could have given them the proof, but he was looking for the faith in their soul. And so, man, if you want a white-hot faith, if you want to be a person that's doing their part, if you want to embody the kingdom of heaven, like you've got to crush the shadows of unbelief in your life. Only you know them. Areas of your life that you're still in control. You see, the Pharisees, what they wanted above everything is they wanted control. They wanted to be able to say, like, this is what it is. This is how I believe. They wanted to be able to have a box and put Jesus in it. 
but that's not who he was, and that's not how we're called to live as well. So friends, you today, you've got to crush the unbelief in your soul because not only does unbelief lead to a hard heart, look at it in the passage, verse, 17, verse 14 to 17, unbelief requires swift action. It requires swift action. So they're getting in the boat and going to the side, and the disciples had forgotten to take bread. Oh my. This is a good argument for why the disciples were probably Baptists because they were frustrated about the lack of food. They had only one loaf with them in the boat. And they were arguing about who forgot the bread. Like, doesn't that seem silly? Like, in your Bible, if you brought your Bible, like, just flip back, like, a page or so to the beginning of chapter 8. What does Jesus do at the beginning of chapter 8? He feeds 4,000 people. Like, of all the things to worry about, this was not one. Jesus had repetitively proven his ability to feed multitudes with little. But yet they'd argue because they forgot the bread. But Jesus saw through their arguing, and look what he says in verse 15. He gave them strict orders. He was concerned, and he offered a warning. And his warning was, watch out, beware of leaven. Leaven of the Pharisees and leaven of Herod. Now, this idea here is watch out. It's that perceive, like, like see it coming. This is that, that moment of, of you're in the driveway and the ball's bouncing toward the toddler. Like, watch out. Like, this, this is one of those jumping in and rescuing moments. Like, watch out, watch out, watch out. To beware is to be cautious. It's alert to danger. I mean, Jesus is literally telling these guys, like, like you need to see what's going on. Perceive the spiritual reality of what's happening here. And friends, with the reason so many of us drift into a hardness of heart is because we lose track of the spiritual realities that surround us. Understand, you are a spiritual being with a fleshly body. The spirit world is the real world, the spirit world is the eternal world, and the spirit world is the war in which the adversary desires to destroy you from. And this is the reality we live in every single day. And so here Jesus is having a spiritual conversation and they're worrying about their hunger pains. And this is the recipe for a hard heart. Is we just live for today when he's living in light of eternity. He's trying to embody the kingdom and we're trying to feed our belly. You see, so many of us, the reason we get off track spiritually is because the worries of today captivate our soul. That's why Jesus would say, don't worry about tomorrow. Today's got enough for themselves. So Paul would be like, hey, don't be anxious for anything, but in everything, pray. Because prayer is that expression of faith. It's that surrender of the will. It's not allowing the anxieties and pressures of the day to destroy me. Have you ever been in a situation where you just literally thought, man, why are they so worked up about that? We've all been there. Like, what, what is it? It's a value system conversation at the end of the day. It's a value system. So Jesus is going, the value system of eternity and what's happened spiritually should trump your hunger pains, but all you guys can think about is that you only brought a loaf of bread. So he says, watch out, beware. The enemy, the roaring lion, seeks to devour, and he's going to do it through leaven. Leaven in the scripture was an image. It was, it was a descriptive term that always spoke of evil. So he obviously was identifying the evil in their argument. 
the evil in their heart that was coming out as they were arguing over a foolish thing. And he gave us two specific words, the, the, the leaven or the evil of the Pharisees and the leaven or the evil of Herod. The Pharisees, we've already talked about those guys, those that were trying to put Jesus in a religious box. They were trying to control their faith. They were trying to make certain everything was proven. But the Herod, the leaven of Herod, what was he talking about? Theologians, frankly, are not aligned on exactly what he's talking about there. But one argument that seems to hold sway in my heart is, is he was speaking to these Jewish people that were called the Herodians. They were Jewish people who had capitulated to the culture and had determined they would give up any distinction they might have to fit into Roman culture and law. So he's saying, don't be like the Pharisees who were the religious elite. We might call them cultural Christians nor be like those who lose all of their distinction and become just like the culture. See, those Herodians, they were those that, that they had given up their heritage to have peace in the moment. They loved the moment more than the mission. And Jesus is saying to these disciples, like, don't be like either one of these guys. Pay attention to what's happening in your heart. Don't drift. Stay focused on me the wisdom writer would say it like this in proverbs chapter 4 he'd say guard your heart above all else for it is the source of life guard your heart it's the source of life how do i guard my heart let me give you four thoughts this morning about guarding your heart first pay attention to what comes in i guard my heart by paying attention to what comes in there are children and teenagers in this service, and listen, guys, they're, they're, you got to guard your heart on what comes in. Just because it's on YouTube doesn't mean you should watch it. I know you get frustrated when mom and dad say no all the time. Oh, you can't watch that or you can't do that, but they're trying to help you guard the heart. That's their job. You got to guard your heart. Now, I don't know how it is in East Tennessee or East East Texas, but in East Tennessee, can I tell you another concern as a pastor? Not just I got to get them lost to get them saved, but for when they are saved challenge we face in east tennessee is that our folks sometimes are more discipled by fox news than they are jesus of the bible we gotta be careful what comes in if my cultural news intake outweighs my spirit of god intake i'm probably on the path to a hard heart and i know that's hard to hear but we got to recognize here that what we allow in affects us and we've got to be people of the word if we truly want to be people who are passionate about the things that matter. Second, we've got to persevere in the face of difficulties. If you really want to guard your heart, pay attention to what comes in and, and persevere in the face of difficulties. You won't know the depth of the presence of Christ until you persevere with him through difficult situations. You won't know the depth of Christ. And David alluded to it earlier as he introduced me. That, that happened for me. In 2004, Bridget and I got married in 2003. We were on the five-year plan for kids. And five months later, she was like, hey, I'm pregnant. And I thought, how'd that happen? You know, so we, uh, I was an intern, college intern there at First Baptist Gardendale. We were making like $10,000 a year. And she was working three jobs to put together another $5,000 a year. And, and I thought, we've got a mouth to feed. We need a full-time job. And so we moved from Birmingham to Atlanta for me to begin working full-time in ministry. And on January the 21st, 2004, a little boy came in the world, Dax Chandler Harrison. Chandler's my mom's 
maiden name. I, when I passed through Chandler earlier today, it brought back many memories. But that little guy lived today and passed away. Tragedy upon tragedy in our life, it was the darkest day of my life. When I held my little guy and watched him struggle to breathe one more time. I remember exactly what happened in those moments. But I can also tell you I can remember exactly what's happening in my hands. But I can also remember exactly what's happening in my heart. And in the darkness of that day, I can tell you that the Lord was there. And I understood the depth of his presence in a way that I'd never understood before. Because when everything was unraveling, there was a peace that surpassed all understanding. So I'm not telling you this from a book that I read. I'm telling you this from an experience in my life that you can persevere in the face of your difficulty. Your cancer diagnosis, your marriage falling apart, you losing your job, you're not knowing about the future, your uncertainty. You can persevere with the Lord in the darkest of day because he will be with you. Third, you got to get in Christian community. Get in Christian, get in Christian community. If you want to guard your heart, get in Christian community. I hope you're in a group here at the church, but, but you need brothers and sisters in your life. Like Christianity was never meant to be a solo sport. Like we're, we're citizens of a kingdom on mission together. And church membership shouldn't be, this church plays the music I like. This church has a preacher that I like. This church has the programs that I like. Listen, church membership should be, I am linking arms with these brothers and sisters to be on mission together with them. It's not about my preferences, it's about the mission. And so Christian community is what keeps me guarding my heart. And that's why this Marco Polo group that you hear, you've heard so much about um, is so fun. Right? Like these, these are, this is Christian community. Like we love one another. We, we poke at one another. We encourage one another. Just this morning, we were coming in, and, and, and David told you about my wonderful experience a year ago choking on a Lord's Supper cracker. We've all known those things were bad, right? Like, let's just admit, I know it seems not, not appropriate, but like it, we need a little more grape juice, and the crackers could use some help. All right? So, so man, I'm standing there, and I'm, I'm trying to do the Lord's Supper, and I'm trying to, you know, be ministerial, whatever that means, you know, and, and man, it just goes down the wrong pipe, and I can't talk, and I'm like, I look at my worship pastor, and he thinks like I'm having a moment with the Lord, and he's like, bless him, Lord, I'm like, yeah, I'm dying, I'm dying right here, bless him, Lord, yes, had to ask for some water, got some water, got down, survived, well, man, it, I, the service wasn't even over yet, and our tech team had ripped that part and sent it to all my friends, so I'm driving to church this morning, and Michael Wood, who you heard from just a couple weeks ago, Michael Wood comes on the Marco Polo group and says, hey, John Mark, I hear they're doing Lord's Supper today at Rock Hill. Be careful. <laughs> oh, man. Man, who you got in your life like that? Right? Christian community, brothers and sisters to go through life with. And, man, when Michael first got ill, man, we all dropped whatever we did. We'll, we'll do whatever you need. So he invited me to come on Time Change Spring Break Sunday, friends. <laughs> How do I guard my heart? I got to get going. We got one more service to go. All right, pay attention to what comes in. Persevere in the face of difficulties. Get in Christian community. Four, preach the gospel to myself every day. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. The gospel is not something you need one time. It's something you need every day. So here, here's the deal. 
a true hot-hearted faith happens when I live in and through Christ. That means every day when my feet hit the floor, my mentality says, God, I thank you for what you've done for me in Jesus. God, forgive me for my, the sin. And I don't, listen, you didn't confess, you didn't commit them wholesale. You can't confess them wholesale. God doesn't do forgiveness at Costco, right? So you got to like, like, God, this sin and this sin and this sin. And you get clean before the Lord. And then you walk every day in his power, in his authority. This is how. This is how. I truly live in the gospel every day. And finally this morning, look in verses 18 through 21. I resist a hard heart by remembering the work of God. By remembering the work of God. Look at the passage. uh, Verse 18. Do you have eyes and not see? Do you have ears and not hear? And do you not remember? The examples, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000. Verse 20, when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000. And they remembered those things. And he said to them, don't you understand yet? What was Jesus trying to help them understand? That, the, that his faithfulness in the past would be a prediction for his faithfulness in the future. And, and so when I remember what he's done, I can walk in confidence that he will do as he's always done. And so remembering the past keeps me from a hard heart because I can remember his provision in the dark Because I can remember what he's done for me yesterday. Because I remember how he preserved my life, how he provided for my family. And now I can walk with confidence and certainty that he will do what he's always done. Because it's who he is, the same, yesterday, today, and forever. Why is it that we can remember everything about our kid's life, but yet we shortly or we quickly forget what God has done to preserve our life? Why is it that we can remember everything about our income statement? Yet we can't remember the promises about who I am from his word. Why is it that I know every country song on the radio? But yet I quickly forget the promise of victory that's mine in Christ Jesus. You see, the road to a hardened heart is that I forget what he's done. The road to a hardened heart is that I don't take quick action on the unbelief of my soul. And the road to a hardened heart starts when I say, I'm going to put God in a box where I can define him. Instead of preaching the gospel to myself, that I can live in him. So this morning, can I urge you to avoid a hard heart? Remember him. Psalm 103 My soul, bless the Lord, and all that's within me, bless his holy name. My soul, bless the Lord, and do not forget all his benefits. Remember him and worship him. It's exactly what we need to do in this hour to make a difference with our lives. Let's pray together. Father. Lord, we love you today, and we thank you for Jesus. And we just confess, Lord, we want to do all that we can do with our lives. And so teach us from this passage of Scripture today what you were looking for the disciples to do, and show us how that's what you're looking for us to do. Lord, you help us even in this moment right here, right now, identify areas of unbelief in our soul. 
And would you give us the courage to take swift action? Might we repent? Might we turn? God, help us to guard our hearts today. And help us to remember your word. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, let's just take a moment to remember the work of the Lord. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. This is a testimony to the Lord. I need to just say, Pastor, it's been a time in my life that I've repented of my sins and put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Just lift up your hand and say, that's me. There's been a time in my life that I began a new relationship with Christ. Every one of us, if you've done that, raise your hand. We're remembering the Lord. This isn't to me, this is unto him. You can put your hands down. All right, so we have this moment that Jesus changed us. Now, what's the condition of your heart? Is there hardness of heart that you need to repent of today? That you can be who the Lord wants you to be, embody his kingdom. That you can be about his mission and his work. Now, how many just say, Pastor, there's areas of unbelief in my life and I need to take swift action on them today. Just lift up your hand and say, that's me. Pray for me. Pray for me, man. I've allowed some acceptable sin. Just raise your hand, put your hand back down. I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. But after a prayer, we're going to be singing and I want to invite you to take some swift action today. I don't invite you to this altar. I don't, I don't I didn't ask Kreiner about all the details of how you guys normally respond to the Lord, but you know, when, when you hear from the Lord, the Bible says it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. And when God speaks, we should respond. And we're not responding to a person or a preacher. We're responding to the Spirit of God. And responding to a message is not saying there's something wrong with me. Responding to God's Word is saying there's something right with me. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know that every one of us watching online or in this room in this moment, we're a mess. We also know that only King Jesus can rescue us from ourselves. So in the Old Testament, they would make altars as places of remembrance. So today, I'm going to pray for you. You raised your hand and you said, man, there's some areas of unbelief in my life. Well, that is going to harden your heart unless you take swift action. So may your swift action today while we're singing be that you leave your seat, you say, excuse me to your neighbor, and you slip right out in the aisle and you come you give whatever it is that's hardening your heart to the Lord at this altar. You see that altar, that place of remembrance. So when you come in here next week, you can remember last week, I gave it to the Lord at the altar and I'm not carrying it with me again. You leave it here and you return in freedom. For those of you that could not raise your hand to the very first question today, David's here and would love to speak with you about beginning a relationship with Christ relationship with Christ begins at the moment that you repent and believe but it's a journey that will take you your entire life there is freedom for you and victory for you you can make a difference with your life but it begins with knowing Jesus so if you want to come and know Jesus you want to come join the United Methodist Fellowship of Faith like you come to talk with David if you want to come and say raise their hand. There's some areas in my heart that I need to take swift action on. You come and kneel at this altar and allow the minister of the Spirit to make you whole again.
Lord, today, we pray for your spirit to move and for us to be obedient to your word. God, may we not be people of unbelief. God, in those areas of unbelief in our life, might we take swift action to remember what you've done and guard our heart against the schemes of the enemy. I pray for my brothers and sisters that were honest enough to raise their hand. Now give them courage today as they chart a new course and live in a different way. So Spirit of the living God, would you fall fresh on this moment and might we respond to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.